The following message is brought to you by the CD ministry of Rancho Baptist Church. This message by Pastor Matt Shia was recorded during our regular morning worship service. Pastor Matt is the senior pastor here at Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. While Pastor Matt is on vacation, it's always our privilege to have our discipleship pastor, Pastor Lou Dawson, fill in for him. Today, Pastor Lou is looking at the scripture in Exodus where Moses desires to see God's glory, and God obliges him by showing him his backside. Let's join Pastor Lou now as we take a look at how seeing God's glory changed Moses' life and can change our lives too if we seek to glorify him. And now, here's Pastor Lou. You know, what we think about God is really is really very important. And frankly, there really are few things more important in the world than what we view God as. And the well-known writer A.W. Tozer commented this about the subject. He said, What comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. We tend by secret law of the soul to move towards our mental image of God. And thus the study of what God is like is really of immense importance to us as Christians. And like it or not, our understanding of who God is will manifest itself in our daily behavior, for better or for worse, really. And many authors in the scripture help us understand what God is like. But even more importantly, the Lord himself tells us what he is like in his very own words in very various places in the scripture. And obviously, when the Lord tells us what he's like, we better listen. And the passage of scripture that we're going to look at today is one such text. And it's, a, it's probably the most extensive of all the texts where the Lord tells us what he's like. And in it, the Lord gives us a very, a very succinct picture of what he is like. And our text today is found in Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 through 8. And the title of today's message is, The Lord Explains Himself. But before we dive into the text, we need to understand a little background. By chapter 34 in the book of Exodus, the Lord had used Moses to miraculously deliver the people out of bondage in Egypt. And now with the concerns of escaping Egypt behind him, the people had journeyed south down to Mount Sinai. And in Exodus chapters 20 through 31, Moses related to all the people, all the laws that he had received from the Lord as he had met with him, having spent many days with him up on Mount Sinai. And at the end of this time, Moses came down off the top of the mountain and found the people engaged in gross idolatry, worshiping a golden calf that Aaron had made for them. Not a real bright move. And in his horror, you remember what Moses did? He takes the Ten Commandment tablets and he smashes them in anger. And uh, there goes the stone tablets. Now in Exodus 33, Moses intercedes for his people who have erred greatly before the Lord. And in the midst of that intercession, interestingly, Moses makes some very bold requests from the Lord. First one, he says, Now therefore I pray you, If I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I may know you, so that I may find favor in your sight. And then after the Lord had agreed to this request, Moses makes what is arguably the most 
audacious request that any man has ever made from the Lord. And Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. And amazingly, the Lord, the Lord glanced this request with some careful precautions put in place so Moses doesn't die in the process. And then in Exodus chapter 34, verses 1 through 5, the passage right before the one we're going to look at, the Lord instructed Moses to cut some new stone tablets and head back up Mount Sinai. And Moses does just that. He grabs the tablets and heads back up the mountain. And thus the stage was set uh, to answer Moses' request to see the Lord in all of his glory. Now with that background in place, let's dive into our text starting in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. And you've probably already turned there. Then the Lord passed by in front of him, in front of Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. Now let's stop right there. Now, starting in verse 6, we see Yahweh revealing himself and telling Moses what he is really like. Now, first notice that the Lord reminds Moses of his name. Now, to us, this might not seem very significant, but to Moses, this was actually very, very meaningful. And the Hebrew word that's used here is the Hebrew word, and most of you probably know it, is Yahweh. And this is the proper name of the God of Israel, the God who appeared to Moses a number of years earlier in the burning bush. And earlier, in this earlier encounter, Moses had learned some very important things about Yahweh. Now keep your place here in Exodus 34, but turn back with me for a moment to Exodus chapter 3, where Moses is getting his initial introduction to Yahweh. Exodus chapter 3, and we'll start one of starting in verse 13. Now in this passage, um, Yahweh had appeared to Moses and instructed him to go to the people of Israel and to tell them that the Lord intended to free them. Now read along with me starting in verse 13. Then Moses said to God, Behold, I'm going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me. Now they may say to me, well, what's his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent you. God furthermore said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, The Lord Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial name, to all generations. Now, notice how God characterizes himself to Moses. He is, I am who I am. Rather odd expression, isn't it? Now, the Hebrew word here is a verb that literally means, I will always be. The Lord revealed to Moses that he was the self-existent one who always was, who always is, and who always will be. He has no beginning and no end. He's eternal 
in both directions. And this is the primary meaning that Moses understood when the Lord proclaimed his name before him. And we see Moses' understanding of this characteristic of God in the only psalm written by Moses, and that would be Psalm 90, when he says this. He says, Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. But Yahweh also revealed something else very interesting to Moses in this first encounter. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 12, just a few verses before the one we just looked at, notice the very first sentence. And Yahweh said to Moses, Certainly I will be with you. Now that phrase, I will be, that's the exact same Hebrew word that's used in verse 14. When Yahweh said, I am who I am. And in this, Moses understood that Yahweh's name implied that he would always be with them. He was the God who would be with his people always during in times of trouble. He was the God who could be known. And thus back in Exodus 34, when the Lord proclaimed his name to Moses as the Lord, Moses reminded, was reminded that Yahweh was the self-existent one. And Moses was also reminded that Yahweh would always be there with him. And you know, we as Christians worship the exact same God that Moses did, and the Lord would have us learn the exact same things that Moses knew. He is the self-existent one. He never changes. He will never leave us, nor will he ever forsake us. You know, and what... What a slap in the face it must be to Yahweh when we as Christians ignore Him Monday through Saturday. You know, we need to remember His name each day. He is Yahweh. He never changes. And He's always promised to be with us. Why would we not want to carve out time each day to be near to that, that God? Now moving on, notice the second part of the Lord's explanation to himself back in Exodus chapter 34. And that is, is that he says that he is the Lord God. Now how many in, in here have a New International translation? Do we have any New Internationals here? We've got a few. Okay. How does, it, uh, how does it render this phrase in the New International? Anybody want to read it? Back in Exodus 34, verse 6. Yeah, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. And the New Living translates it very, very similar. And I just want to point out something, in, something unusual here. Without going into any real technical detail, the exact meaning of this Hebrew is not really very clear. And really, either one of these translations is, is accurate. The Lord, the Lord compassionate and gracious, or the Lord, the Lord God. Either one is, is accurate. But I'm going to just stick to explaining the one in the New American Standard, the Lord God. So what was the Lord seeking to explain about himself here? Well, Yahweh here reminds Moses that he is God, or in the Hebrew, he is El. And in this word El, 
Yahweh is reminding Moses that he is powerful and mighty. He is the Almighty. You see, Moses already knew this because the author of, as he was the author of the book of Genesis, the Lord had already revealed this, him to this way to Abraham. I want to show you the passage here. Now, when Abraham was 90, 90 years old, 99 years old, Yahweh appeared to Abram and said, I am El Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. And in Psalm 89, verses 11 through 12, the psalmist declares this, The heavens are yours, the earth also is yours. The world and all it contains, you have founded them. North and south, you have created them. And everything that we see in the earth and in the sky all around us was created by Yahweh El. He simply spoke and instantly all these things came into creation. That is how powerful and how mighty he is. And you see, the Lord wanted to remind Moses that he was the self-existent one. And he also wanted to remind him that he was the powerful and the almighty one. And in light of what our God is like, we need to ask ourselves a very tough and difficult question. And that is, have we been worrying lately? I know that may sound rather unrelated, but it really isn't. You see, worry on the part of God's beloved children really is an affront to Him. Worry is essentially saying that we do not believe that He is Yahweh El. And I'm speaking this to myself especially, but if any of you are catching yourself worrying lately, we must remind ourselves of what the Lord is truly like. We must choose to live in light of who He is and we will learn to trust him instead of worrying. Now, continuing on in verse 6, notice the third part of the Lord's explanation of himself to Moses. Yahweh tells Moses that he is compassionate. And in the Hebrew, this word is derived from the word which means, it means bowels or intestinal tract. And you see, the Lord's compassion for us is almost a, it's almost a gut gripping emotional response to his love for us. And it's also rooted in the understanding of our own frailty. In the scripture, the Lord's compassion is compared to the compassion of a loving parent for their children. And David makes this comment about the compassion of the Lord. He said, just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself he knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. And the Lord's compassion reveals that He is tender-hearted towards us, His children. One of the most beautiful pictures of the Lord's compassion is presented in the parable of the prodigal son. And most of you probably remember this parable about the son who goes out and he demands a portion of his inheritance and then he goes down, out, away, and he spends all of it on loose living and sin and all that kind of stuff. And finally, when the, the guy finds himself in the pig pen, uh, he comes to his senses and he humbly returns back to his father, seeking only to be hired on as staff. And the father's response illustrates God's compassion toward us, his children, when we come to him with a humble heart. 
So the son got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. You see, the father would have been completely just in just rebuking that son for what he had done. And he could have even righteously just ignored that son because of the utter disgrace that the son had brought on the entire family. But the father's great compassion compelled him to respond with joy and with love to as his son repented. And as the Lord's dearly loved children, we must remember that he is compassionate. You know, one of Satan's great lies that he loves to foist on us is that God is just plain old mean. And that is such a lie. You know, Satan especially tries to lay that little trip on us when we are, are wayward and have kind of rebelled against the Lord. And maybe there are some of you here today who have kind of made a mess of your life by refusing to submit to the Lord. And if this is you, remember that God is compassionate. That is what He is like. He will never turn away from anyone who approaches Him with a humble and a contrite heart. Don't believe the lies of Satan. The Lord awaits your return with open arms. And return to Him today if this is you. Well, thus far we've seen the Lord explain Himself to Moses as Yahweh, as Yahweh El, as compassionate. Notice the fourth revelation to Moses in verse 6, that the Lord is gracious. In the Old Testament, the word used is only used here, it's only used in the Old Testament as an attribute of God Himself. And it has behind it the heartfelt response of the Lord giving something undeserved to someone who is both undeserving and in desperate need of that. And in many ways, grace is kind of the action response to the compassion of God. And in it, the Lord is giving us a gift that we don't even remotely deserve. The true measure of God's vast grace is obviously and unquestionably the gracious gift of His Son to atone for our sins. Because of our own blatant rebellion against God, we stood condemned, and the punishment that we deserved was eternal separation from God and from everything good for that matter. And yet the Lord, because of His great love and His great compassion, interceded for us and lavished grace upon us through Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul put it this way. He said, In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. And the Lord's grace is so great that He not only saved us, but He made us children of His, co-heirs with Christ. And don't make the mistake of thinking that God's grace ended at the cross. He is equally gracious today, providing grace so that we can joyfully and victoriously live our Christian lives. And the only thing we need to do to receive His grace is to humbly abide in His presence. 
But we also need to cultivate that humility. For both Peter and James assured us that God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to those who are humble. Now, continuing on in verse 6, notice the fifth revelation to Moses, that the Lord angers slowly. And this is a truly amazing attribute of our Lord, which all of us should be very, very thankful for. And to begin understanding why this attitude is so incredible, let, let me ask you a question. Do you guys ever listen to the news and the, hear the unfortunately frequent stories of people abusing young children? You hear those? Let me ask you a question. How do those make you feel? What's that? Anger. Any any of you others, does that make you angry too? That is one of the few things that really gets me riled up. And you know what? Now you begin to understand the reaction that the Lord has to all sin. To all sin. You see, it makes Him angry. All sin does because He understands the destruction that sin pours out on His people and on all of creation. And fortunate for us and all mankind, even though sin provokes the Lord's anger and His wrath, He's very patient. He's very patient. Even mankind seems to go to extravagant ends to thumb their collective noses at the Lord. He never flies off the handle. You know, He will be patient... He will be patient with us. But will He be patient forever with sin? No, He will not. He is infinitely holy and just and someday will pour out His wrath on sin. And we see that in the book of Revelation. Make no mistake, God's anger is terrifying when it's aroused. But praise God that He is very, very patient. You know, in in light of what our Lord is like, we need to be patient with one another here at RBC. You know, none of us is perfect, and that's why the Apostle Paul issued this challenge to the members of the Ephesian church. He said, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. We cannot let in-your-face blatant sin exist within our body here at Rancho Baptist, but we certainly need to be patient with one another when we unintentionally fall short of the mark. Such imperfection, unfortunately, is inevitable. And if there's someone that you're angry with here because somehow they have unintentionally hurt you or offended you, let it go. Just let it go. Ask God for the grace to be patient with others, just like He is patient with you. Now, continuing on in verse 6, notice the fifth revelation to Moses, that the Lord is full of loving kindness. Now, right now, I suspect that a number of you are noticing that your translation says something a little bit different. How does the NIV translate this? All you NIV folks out there. 
Abounding in love. How about the New King James? Anybody got a New King James here? Or a King James? Goodness. Yeah, goodness and truth. Okay. How about a new loving? A new living? New loving. There you go. That's what it is. You got a new living here? It pronounces it unfailing love. Now, why the differences, you ask? The reason why is because the Hebrew word here is extremely difficult to translate in English. And you have to kind of combine a number of different thoughts together to really get an understanding of what this Hebrew word is for loving kindness. Now, to understand loving kindness, you need to first remember that the Lord's relationship to his people. We are his children. We are the apple of his eye. And as a result, he loves us. Now, how many of you here have, have children? Raise your hands. Oh, a lot of people with children. Now, Joyce, I'm going to pick on you for a minute. Aren't you happy about that? Let me ask you a question. Is there anything that your son, AJ, could do to you to get you not to love him? There's nothing. You mean even if he was disobedient to you after church today, you would still love him? How about if he turned into heaven forbid? And don't, close your ears, close your ears, okay? Close your ears. <laughs> How about if he turned into an unruly teen and totally went off the deep end and rebelled against you? Would you still love him? Yes, you would. You remember that, AJ. But don't become an unruly teen. (laughs) You see, God's love for us is even a more perfect version of that. Did you notice something about Joyce's love? There was nothing that could shake it absolutely nothing. The same thing with God's loving kindness towards his children. His love towards us is utterly and completely steadfast. Nothing can shake his loving kindness toward us. And there's one additional aspect of God's loving kindness. He is utterly faithful and will always deal lovingly with his children no matter how far they stray. Even when he disciplines us, it's always in love. And that is what God's loving kindness is like. God's loving kindness is a a steadfast, loyal love because of his relationship that he has with us as his children. Now, continuing on in verse 6, notice the sixth explanation to Moses that the Lord is truth. And understand this aspect of God's character. Listen to the root word and tell me what English word we derive it from. You ready? The Hebrew root word is pronounced aman. We get our English word amen. That's what we get, that's what we get from it. And this is really, it has behind it the idea of firmness and certainty. That's the idea behind this word truth. And in the New Testament, whenever Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, he literally said, and you can look at it in the original, amen, amen, I said to you. That's what he said. You see, the Lord does not change. He has always been perfect. He always will be. Therefore, What he says is firm, it is certain, it is true, it is 100% faithful. He cannot lie, and his word can be utterly dependent upon. 
In fact, those of you who have a New International Translation or a New Living will notice that the word is translated there, faithfulness. And because God is abounding in truth and faithfulness, firmness, certainty, we never need doubt the promises that He has made to us. First, we've got to know what they are. But secondly, and even more importantly, we must trust those promises utterly because He is full of truth. Now moving on in verse 7. Notice the seventh revelation of Moses that the Lord's love, loving kindness, it endures. At the beginning of verse 7, the Lord told Moses that he keeps loving kindness for thousands. Now back in verse 6, the Lord had explained to Moses about the vastness of his loving kindness. And now in verse 7, he adds another dimension to that loving kindness. It's not only vast, but it endures. Now, most of your translations probably say that the Lord keeps his loving kindness for thousands. And that is a literal translation of what's there. Now, years later, we find Moses' understanding of what was meant by this because he explains this concept to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9. And there he says this. He says, Know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God, he is the faithful God who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousandth generation of those who love him and keep his commandments. And notice in this verse that Moses indicates the Lord's loving kindness is to the thousandth generation. And this is kind of a proverbial expression that indicates that his loving kindness endures for a long, 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 long time. And this seems to be what the Lord is indicating to Moses back in Exodus. And also note that the Lord's loving kindness endures to those who love Him and who obey Him. Remember that loving kindness is based on a love relationship with Him. God loves the world, but His loving kindness, His steadfast, loyal, enduring love is only really to His children. And moving on in verse 7, notice the eighth revelation to Moses that the Lord... Ah, interesting, what do we have going on here? Well, if you guys will fix that, it'll be great. Well, in verse 7, you'll notice that it says that the Lord is forgiving. In the middle of the verse, the Lord tells Moses that he forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Now notice what this phrase comes after. The Lord has just explained to Moses that his loving kindness endures. And there is a connection here. This is how his loving kindness is manifested. He forgives all kinds of sins committed by his children. And the Lord mentions three specific sins here, three categories of sins actually, iniquity, transgression, and sin. Now this word iniquity literally means to twist or to distort. And the idea here seems to be that he will forgive us when we twist or distort his truth and use that as a pretext for our own actions. Transgressions has behind it the idea of actually rebelling against a ruler. And this is when we say, God, I know what you want me to do, but guess what? I'm not going to do it. That's what transgression is. And sin has the idea behind it of the old bow and arrow missed the mark. And this happens when we either intentionally or unintentionally don't measure up to God's 
standards. Now, the Lord forgives all of those sins for us who are subjects of His loving kindness, us who are His children. And precisely because He is forgiving as Christians, we must devote ourselves to sharing this forgiveness with others. You know, recently we've seen the the unprecedented unraveling of the worldwide economy. And coming along with that over and over again, we've heard these calls for global cooperation to end this, this disaster. Folks, the end is near. It's here. It's coming. We must be about the work that the Lord has given us as the church in proclaiming the forgiveness available through the death of Jesus Christ. There is not much time left. And we have to be about that business. And moving on in our text, lest lest Moses think that the Lord was just some sentimental softy, the Lord now explains that he is just. Look at the end of verse 7 where the Lord tells Moses that he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. You know, all of us must never forget that the Lord abounds in compassion and grace and loving kindness and in truth that all these attributes are within the bounds of His unimaginable holiness. And in describing this very passage that we're studying, Martin Luther commented this. He said, This passage of Scripture proclaimed that God is love, but that kind of love in which mercy, grace, long-suffering, goodness, and justice are united with holiness and justice. And the Moses had heard this from the Lord before, and the previous explanation had actually included a little more information. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, the Lord had told Moses, You shall not worship idols or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. You see, though the Lord exercises loving kindness and forgiveness towards his children, He doesn't just wink at sin. He does not do that. You know, there are consequences to our sin, especially to those who continually reject and despise the Lord. But there's a balance here. Look with me for a moment at Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 20. I'll show it up here on the screen. You don't need to turn there. Where the Lord is speaking to Ezekiel, and he says this. He says, The person who sins will die. The son will not bear the punishment for the father's iniquity, nor will the father bear the punishment for the son's iniquity. The righteousness of the righteous will be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked will be upon himself. So considering all these things together, the Lord is explaining to Moses that because he is holy and therefore just, there are lingering consequences for those who live in rebellion against the Lord, even though each individual must bear 
the responsibility for his own sin before God. You know, there may be some folks here this morning on a, on a Thanksgiving weekend who have never put their faith in Christ and are just now sensing that they're in danger of reaping the consequences of lifelong rebellion before the Lord. And if this describes you, today is the day to repent, to turn from your sin and to put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and to receive His loving kindness. You know, talk to whoever brought you or you can come talk to me, but don't leave today this sanctuary before getting that matter settled before God. And now having heard Yahweh explain that He is that He is powerful, He is mighty, He is compassionate, He is gracious, slow to anger and full of enduring loving kindness, full of truth, forgiving and just, we see Moses' response in verse 8. Moses made haste to bow low towards the earth in worship. And in the Hebrew, which this was originally written, it's apparent that this was actually, uh, it was actually a bit of an understatement. In today's language, we might say, Moses hit the deck in a big hurry. Now, if I was Pastor Matt, I would probably walk up onto this platform, and what do you think I would do? Guess what? I would never get up either. So I'm just going to leave that, uh, leave that demonstration to your imagination there. And what did Moses do from this posture of humility? He worshipped the Lord reverencing from who he is and what he is like. And we've heard from the Lord what he is like, and we must respond like Moses did. And I would suggest two responses in particular. First, we must respond daily to his marvelous perfection. At the start of our days, I would suggest for all of us that we begin recalling what he is like and praising him for these qualities. And the Psalms are such wonderful material for that kind of praise. And there is nothing that will change us more than such worship and adoration of the Lord. In fact, referencing Moses' experience of the glory of the Lord that we studied this morning, the Apostle Paul makes this observation. He says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. From glory to glory. Wow, to be transformed into the very image of God Himself. And secondly, we must respond now to the marvelous perfection of the Lord. You know, like Moses, we have heard from the Lord what He is like, and we must respond in humility and in worship. And we must come each Sunday prepared to worship Him. And we must have our hearts prepared. And you may notice this morning that we suggested up on the screen that the last few minutes before the start of our service be devoted to preparing our hearts to worshiping the Lord. You know, whether or not this becomes formally a part of our normal service, I would urge you to take a few moments each week to get your heart ready to worship Him. And right now... We're going to do just that. We're going to spend time worshiping and adoring Him. Let's pray. Lord, we 
We have heard from your very mouth what you were like, and we stand in humble awe of you. And now we want to worship and adore you, Lord. Prepare our hearts so that we might worship you and in spirit and truth from humble hearts full of praise for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you've been blessed in any way by today's broadcast, we'd love to hear from you. Why don't you drop us a line at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org and you can email any one of the staff members that are there. Or you can even call us at area code 951-676-2911. We just pray that you've been touched today and we pray that God blesses you in your walk with Him. Have a great day in the Lord.